Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. The music you hear is a hymn, actually it's a Psalm 136, sung by the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir of Homer Glen, Illinois, of which I am proud but also humble to say that I am the pastor. This is a traditional hymn sung as we move into the time of Lent, which now officially begins in the Byzantine liturgical calendar today. In fact, this evening. This is a song from the psalm, which is a song of lament, of being in exile. When the Jewish people were in the Babylonian exile and they were asked by their enemies, hey, sing for us, you Jewish people. We like the way you sing. And they said, we could not sing. We could not be joyful. We could not sing because we were in exile. They longed for their promised land, for their homeland. And this theme of exile is really the theme of Lent, or as we call it, the Great Fast in the Eastern Churches, because what we do is we revisit that original exile of original sin, where Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden because of their sin. And that original sin, of course, is something that we inherit by virtue of having the same nature as Adam and Eve. So in many ways, we are, as a peoples, as a human race, as nation, as individuals, as family, as married couples, as brother and sister, as priest or nun, whatever. We are all on those levels in some way in exile. It's a way of being, in a sense, a bit distant, not only from God, from, from our real self. Remember that in the Bible, 
the book of Genesis, very beginning when it talks about creation, it says that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And that's the truth of us. That's the truth of our being. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We are made glorious. And we are intended to always remain glorious. But sin came into the world. And from that, death and sickness and all other manner of human misery. So we are not really at home yet. And so Lent is a time when we acknowledge that and we work to make our way home. This is one of the reasons why the Sunday of the Prodigal Son is one of the lead-in Sundays to Lent. Obviously, a story of a young man who put himself into exile. He remembered the joy of his father's house, and he longed for that joy after he had squandered all those riches. But he returns, and there is jubilation. So God is jubilant as well as we make our return, or at least, and most especially, at our attempts to make the return. We cannot return to our original innocence entirely. We have something even greater in store in heaven, though, thanks to Jesus Christ. But what we can do is we can make efforts in that direction to come home again. In the story of the prodigal son, it says that he, well, oftentimes you hear the translation, he came to his senses, then remembered his father's house, and then he had his conversion. Well, the actual word really means he came to himself meaning he realized his real self. His real self was all that was good and holy and loving and respectful of his father. His real self was all that he enjoyed in his father's home, which, of course, is symbolic of God the Father, the home he has for us on earth and especially in heaven. The closest we get to that is the church. The church is our father's home, and our homes that we live in are supposed to be replicas of that. That's why we call it the domestic church. So he comes to himself. That's the same thing that we're called to do, to come to ourselves. In other words, to try to regain some of that original innocence, that truth about who we are. The truth is that we are glorious beings capable of imaging God. That is the truth of who we are. Everything else is a foreign intrusion. We have to make our way back through effort, and that effort requires certain disciplines. And this is why as we move into Lent today, this evening, and we do so this evening, at the very moving, very profound forgiveness vespers. We move into Lent through the prayer, as I mentioned, like vespers, through the pre-sanctified liturgies, in other words, the accelerated liturgy of the church, the accelerated liturgy and prayer in our own homes, ourselves, personally, and our accelerated ascetical disciplines, like fasting. The three things go together, prayer, fasting, and charity. Notice how charity is at the end. The first two are to help us arrive at a real, a renewed charity, which means we're coming back to ourself. So prayer and prayer is animated by fasting, and fasting makes the most sense when it is accompanied with prayer. It's not just a ascetical gymnastics. We're not just trying to achieve some kind of physical practice or lose weight or go on a diet. Fasting is not going on a diet. Yeah, losing weight is an offshoot of that, but that's not the goal. The goal of fasting is a spiritual one that is manifested physically. We say no to ourselves physically, to the hardest thing to say no to, or at least one of the hardest, that is food, cravings, cravings for food, to fill our guts. We say no to that, so let's develop the disciplines to say no to other things. On the spiritual level, the psycho-spiritual level, bad habits, 
the passions that we hear the Eastern Fathers talk about so much, like lust and anger and despair. But in order to move beyond those passions, we have to, at the same time, develop a physical discipline. Because if you can master one, it helps you to master the other. So remember, we are psychosomatic beings. In other words, we are psychological or spiritual and physical all at the same time. The two go together, always. You never separate them out. They're separate entities, yes. The spiritual and the physical are separate entities in and of themselves, but they always are inseparable. We always live in the both hands. This is one of the great spiritual jewels of the Eastern spirituality. We always live in the both and. We're always speaking in terms of complementary realities, never either or. So we live in the both and in which we're focusing on the healing of body and soul. One subsist in the other. So the first thing we want to do is focus on fasting. And by that, I mean not just giving up chocolates and then going back to them after Lent, after Easter. I mean, we can do that, but let's face it, I think we're capable of more than that. We should strive for more than that. The fasting really is begun by taking an inventory of ourselves. What is it about us that is excessive? How many things do we reach for during the day? And not just food, but in particular food. How many things do we reach for that we really don't need? But we do it anyway, because we're pacifying something. You know, our fallen passions, maybe sadness, we're trying to salve some kind of emptiness in us. And those things are counterfeit solutions. Well, furthermore, if we can just say no to ourselves, even for basic eating, it it increases our ability to say no where we are in excess. And when I say excess, I don't necessarily mean huge success, big success. Yeah, there is that too. But it can be just small successes. It can just be small excesses. Like, for example, did you really need that little extra snack? Did you really need that second helping? Oh, you wanted it, maybe even craved for it, but did you really want it? But did you really need it? So we say no to that. Now, this is oftentimes a simple thing. But simple things give us a discipline for bigger things. And we're going to talk about bigger things a little bit later. But we first of all focus on fasting in the right way and for the right reasons. Now, the traditional way of fasting is to give up meat and dairy products. And by that, I mean even meat products, oils and fattiness, butter, all the things that we use that we really enjoy, (laughs) the, the fatty things of life. We give that up, not because they're bad, but because they're so good. Fasting is meant to also sharpen our vision, to make it more sacramental, so that we see all physical things, not just for granted, not just to appropriate everything. Oh, I want that, I'll just grab it. This is the sin of Eve, remember when she grabbed that fruit? The Eastern Fathers of the Church say that they describe the original sin as breaking the fast. Remember, God told them to fast, abstain, abstain from the fruit of this particular tree. And she did not. She broke the fast. I mean, they were abstaining for a while. The devil came along and they they broke the fast. So when they broke the fast, they then ushered into the world, into human reality, all that has to do with sin, all that is bad. So we, we fast so that we can develop an increased discipline And we can, on the positive, look at things more sacramentally. In other words, as we come back to ourself, we're also coming back to the real way to see, 
to see everything in that moderation, in that way that doesn't seek to appropriate, to take to ourselves, to consume, but to appreciate and to relish in it, to be thankful for it, to really appreciate the integrity of something, therefore to approach it with discipline and moderation and respect. And that goes for everything in life, even another person, not only food, but another person, our car, our dishes, our couches, our dog, our kids, everything needs to be looked at in a renewed way. And this is part of the goal of fasting. We're going to talk more about the Lenten disciplines when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We've spoken about the first of the three, the trilogies of discipline as we move into Lent, that, that being fasting, prayer, and charity. And we can go on and on about fasting. But let's move to the next one, prayer. As I mentioned this evening, in most Eastern Catholic churches, or many of them, we begin as a vigil. The evening is always the vigil for the next day. The evening always begins the next day. So really, our Lent is beginning on Monday, but Monday begins on Sunday evening. Hope that's not too complicated. <laughs> and 
As a vigil, we pray in the evening a Vesper service, an evening prayer. But this particular Sunday that begins Lent, it's a very special Vesper prayer. It's called the Forgiveness Vespers. In this prayer, we actually take on the posture, and this is especially true of the priest who leads the prayer. He stands before the icon screen that separates the Holy of Holies, which represents heaven, from the nave. He stands there representing us in the posture of Adam and Eve, who were expelled from the Garden of Eden. He stands as though we're knocking to get back in to our original home. And we pray and beg forgiveness from God. But as we know from the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, and other times that our Lord taught us, God's forgiveness is dependent upon our forgiveness. In other words, yes, God is always forgiving. He's in a perpetual state of forgiving, but we don't receive that forgiveness unless we have first forgiven others. It's almost like a, like a door or, or a gate. God doesn't, he doesn't hold back his forgiveness. He always gives it, but it doesn't sink into us. We don't let it in unless we forgive others. So there is an actual ceremony of forgiveness that is woven into this Vesper service of forgiveness, where we actually ask each other for forgiveness. And then from the church, we're supposed to go to our homes and begin there with our families. We go to everyone and begin Lent by asking their forgiveness so that we can in turn be forgiven by God. During this service this evening, we sing many beautiful, profound things such as this. Entering into the arena of the Holy Fast, let us make every effort to humble our flesh by abstinence. In prayer and with tears, let us seek the Lord our Savior, and that we might turn away from our evil deeds. Let us say to him, We have sinned against you, O Christ our God. Save us, as you say the Ninevites of old, and in your goodness grant us a share in the kingdom of heaven. Well, you saw in just in that one brief prayer, And this, again, comes from the Forgiveness Vespers of this evening, the Sunday of Forgiveness. You heard in there the reference to abstinence, so as to humble our flesh, humble our flesh. And also you heard the reference to the Ninevites. That's another point about the Eastern observance of Lent. It's a real journey into the Old Testament, actually. And in fact, this very week, the first week of Lent, each night for the first four nights of this week, we will celebrate in parts, the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. During the fifth week of Lent, on Thursday night, we will celebrate this canon in its entirety. It goes for nearly four hours. (laughs) So we break it up the first week. And it is a veritable journey through the entire Bible. Reference after reference, just as you heard here, the Ninevites. Reference after reference of repentance and redemption. Repentance and redemption. All the way through the Old Testament, and into the new. It's an amazing, amazing journey into the scriptures. It's a, it's a scripture study, a Bible study par excellence, but it is also prayer. And during this service of St. Andrew Crete, as with all the other services during the Lenten season, we do a very profound gesture. It's called the prostration, where when we ask for forgiveness. And any time that we actually ask for forgiveness, and we say, especially, Lord, have mercy, we'll say it many, 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 many times during Lent. We actually go all the way to the ground, to the floor of the church, and touch our head to the floor. We take on the posture of the publican in that wonderful story of the publican and the Pharisee, where the publican went into the temple, stayed in the back, couldn't even raise his eyes up. 
to God in the temple. He was so humbled, so full of contrition and sorrow for his sins, he kept his head down to the floor. So we take on that posture. This also means that our entire body, our entire being becomes a prayer of repentance. Not just our lips, our words, but our entire body becomes a prayer of repentance. Our whole being, we're throwing our whole self into this. Remember, we are psychosomatic beings. Body and soul work together. So we bow to the ground, touch our heads to the ground, and come back up and continue our prayer in a standing position. This happens this evening during the prayer of St. Andrew of Crete and also during the pre-sanctified liturgies. Here's another part of the prayer for this evening. This is what's called the great prokemenon. In other words, it's really the point of demarcation between Sunday evening and Monday. It's where we're beginning to move into what would be the Old Testament readings in the second half of the Vesper service. So the great prokemenon says this, and it's sung to a very mournful, haunting melody. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer quickly. Come close to my soul and redeem me. And then a cantor interjects these verses. Let your saving help, O God, protect me. See, you lowly ones, and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts be merry. And then in between those verses, we again repeat, Hide not your face from your servant. For I am in distress. Answer quickly. Come close to my soul and redeem me. During that time, and again, this is sung to a very slow, mournful, minor key kind of melody. During that time, the clergy change the color of their vestments from bright to the traditional dark vestments of Lent. And when we say dark, we mean it could mean purple or deep red, a maroon or black. It's not really specified exactly what color, it's just a dark color, the dark color of sinfulness, of our mournfulness for our sins and repentance. But if you notice something, though, you notice that last verse? You who seek God, may your hearts be merry. Notice how that's the last verse. The other ones are very, are very passionate. Let your saving help, O God, protect me. See you lowly ones and be glad. The third one is especially positive. May your hearts be merry. And this is a very important aspect of the Lenten observance in the Eastern churches. Again, think in the both end. We always combine that deep mournfulness, that darkness, that gift of tears. We combine that with something very beautiful and happy and joyful. That's why we call Lent the bright sadness. The bright sadness. Because as we're stripping ourselves of all that is not our real self, what happens is we begin to discover our real self. And that is wonderful because we were made wonderful. <laughs> we, sometimes we forget God made us to be happy. This earth is the great playground in the universe. It's the great garden that we're supposed to just frolic through and have fun. We weren't meant to work like we do. Our work would have been closer to play. Remember when Adam and Eve were assigned to the Garden of Eden, it was, it was a place of beauty, a place of, of playing, of prayer and play, praising God and, and just playing, just lifing out, just being, just enjoying. Any kind of work would never have been work in the sense that we know it as a drudgery, that we get tired and achy and it becomes sometimes boring and so laborious. That came later after sin. This earth is a garden. 
And God wanted us to do the two things that we sometimes see in our world as most useless. Two P words, play and pray. That's right. They go together. Because if you're having fun and you play, what do you do? You're happy. You thank God. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Just like children. We're having a lot of fun. Oh, daddy, mommy, this is fun. Thank you. That's the same thing we were supposed to do as human beings. Can you imagine that? We forget that, but that's the truth. This earth was made for us to just come and play and pray. And then when it was time, we would go to heaven where it would be even better forever. That's the truth. And that's the truth we're trying to at least retrieve some echo of through the disciplines of Lent. Prayer and fasting. That will bring us to the third one, and that is charity. To become once again people who love more perfectly. And we'll take that one up at another time. Let us conclude our program today with the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir singing that essential hymn of Lent, the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East 103.9.